0: It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. What a week. People are picking up on what we discussed last week the notion of minding your own business and how people's inability to do that has made things a whole lot worse in America. At least that's my opinion. Senator Rand Paul mentioned it this week. Listen to last week's podcast and see if you don't agree. And I think I might have mentioned it on the radio this week on KTTH. This is an idea whose time has come again. More on that later. This week I had the conversation with a man known on YouTube as Officer Tatum. He is the co-founder of Blexit with Candace Owens and is a thought leader in the black conservative movement. But I actually didn't know that when I first heard him. Uh, The real reason I wanted to talk with him is because I heard him on Tim Poole's podcast when Poole's broadcast studio was swatted and how Tatum just kept everybody cool and how things never got overwrought because he, as a former police officer, kept things calm. He is the author of the book Beaten Black and Blue about being a black cop in today's defund police era. He is a former SWAT officer as well. So Tatum completely calmed Poole and all the rest of the players that night with his expertise. You'll hear what he has to say about that night and his impressions of what went on. With that said, let's get to it. Brandon Tatum, a former Tucson police officer. He's the founder of thetatumreport.com, CEO with three companies, co-founder of Blexit, and he is everywhere now. And, uh, I mean, he's been everywhere. Ingram, Angle, Fox Business, Fox and Friends, Salem Radio, Diamond and Silk, Ben Shapiro. He's been everywhere. And you went to the White House to visit with President Donald Trump. That's pretty amazing. What were you there for, Brandon, if I may call you by your first name?
1: Oh, yeah, that's totally fine. And I was there several times. Uh, two of those times that we had an opportunity to to uh, be a little more connected with Trump was the Black Leadership Summit in 2018. I said three times, 2018, 2019, the Black Leadership Summit, uh, something that Candace Owens and I with Turning Point put together. 400 black leaders from around the country was able to go and, and, and hear from President Donald Trump. Some of us were able to meet Donald Trump. Um, I wasn't a part of that. Uh, being able to meet him. I let the young people meet him because I knew that one day I would um, and then I also uh, we went to uh, Blexit the uh, non-profit organization that Candace Owens and I started in 2018 we were able to meet Trump I believe it was in 2020 we were the first uh, group of people that he addressed um, after he had gotten COVID oh. so we, we were, had an opportunity to talk to him there but I officially met Trump uh, believe it or not at a UFC fight I um, was there on the front row I was a couple rows behind him And then I, you know a, one of, a mutual friend of ours introduced us And I was able to officially meet Trump Talk to him, shake his hand He oh, wow. a picture
0: Oh wow, you saw him you Officially met him at a UFC fight I, I find that wholly refreshing, frankly I do yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, I mean I, for being a billionaire The guy really does keep it real I believe He's just very uh, down home as far as I can figure.
1: Yes, he's who he projects himself to be 24 hours a day. So you either like him, love him, or hate him. <laughs> you, you're going to have some emotion about Trump, believe it or not.
0: <laughs> How did you find him? You, you felt that he was uh, just totally straight?
1: Yeah, well... Yeah, overall, because, you know, I heard about Donald Trump before he ever ran for office. He was just this billionaire, you know, straight talker, straight shooter. Everybody liked him. Everybody aspired to be as successful as as Donald Trump. And then when when he jumped in the political scene, uh, that's when I got more involved in politics. And Ben Carson endorsed him during the presidential election in 2016. I went to a rally and all of it kind of worked in full circle. The same guy I had admired you know for his success not not necessarily the way he behaved but his success um, is the same person I saw campaigning in 2016 and I said you know I like this guy he's a straight shooter I know what I'm getting from him and he supports our country the way I do and so he has my vote wow
0: wow well let me let me ask you a few things I will tell you how I became aware of you when I'm—I should be embarrassed because I hadn't been aware of you before this, but uh, there you are. It's just true. (laughs) Um, A few things in the news lately, and I'd love for you to riff on these. I'm going to give you a list of them. A terrorist is allowed to come into the United States, and he takes a synagogue hostage. A man who shoots two NYPD officers who already had a long rap sheet— a felon commits a murder at Point Blank Rage recently, just in a little federal way, Washington. He was allowed to be out, and he just got into a car, shot the guy. Antifa BLM chased motorists down the street and stopped them. Antifa BLM set up armed checkpoints in Portland, to stop traffic, like ISIS. And they beat two drivers who try to drive around. A bad guy homeless drifter with a rap sheet longer than a CVS receipt murders a young woman in Los Angeles. Looters in California go en masse to steal in broad daylight. They check their calculators to make sure they are not stealing more than $950 worth of merchandise so they won't get prosecuted. And you are watching all of it, Brandon Tatum. You are watching... You're sick of it, but greed and crimes of opportunity are not really what's going on here. Where do you think the sickness is in America?
1: Well, it starts with the morality, um, the morale argument. I think a lot of people have drifted away from God. And I believe when we were at the pivotal uh, point of acknowledging God and all we did, we believed in the family, we had fathers in the home. I, I believe people would behave in a, a more humane way. Now that we've gotten away from God, God, you can't pray in the schools, all of the above. I think people are becoming more evil and, 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 sinister and, and just without morals. And then you couple that with the demonization of law enforcement in this country, which the residual effect of that is causing police officers to not engage in proactive policing The criminal justice system is trying to autocorrect in a way that's unfathomable by allowing people out of prison or I mean out of jail with this bail reform crap that they've been dishing out. And all of those things create a crescendo effect of violence and criminality and destruction in our country. And most of it is coming from these liberal policies that sound good for election, you know, during election time, but it's not um, applicable in reality.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that autocorrect observation you made. I mean, they, they try to do that. These, these real woke DAs. And I guess what happens is, uh, as you say, rightly, you know, it sounded better on paper than it is in reality, because actually we're dealing not with words on paper, black and white. We are dealing with flesh and blood and, uh, I mean, I think about that girl in L.A. who was stabbed by that drifter. Uh, I, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Why did that guy in Federal Way have to die? A 20-year-old kid just sitting in his car had to die because some, some woke prosecutor in Washington State just let him out. Why? Why did David Dorn have to die in St. Louis? Why were five Dallas police officers gunned down? I mean, these are—it's just a lawless— a lawlessness the likes of which I I'm I'm much older than you. I have never seen anything like this.
1: Yeah, it's getting is getting worse and if they don't do the right thing instead of trying to project the right thing, we're we're never going to see a change. You know, people need to be held accountable for crimes. And I think a lot of Americans and maybe even people in politics don't understand and I use this word again, the residual effect. Of demonizing police because, in generally speaking, police officers are very effective when they can be proactive, meaning that they're not responding to a call, they're going out, they're trying to find these criminals who are walking the streets who are selling drugs on the corner, who are looking for an opportunity to rob people, breaking the cars, all of the above. They're actively pursuing these individuals. So what do they do? They pull over people on traffic stops who um, have, you know, invalid registration, who have, you know, invalid driver's license, depending on how they run the plates. And they are catching these people on traffic stops and arresting them for marijuana usage or having possession of uh, or being in possession of dangerous drugs in possession of firearms they shouldn't stopping them from making it to the home invasion preventing them from making it to the next location where they ambush police officers that's why it's so important to proactive to be proactive in policing they're catching these people at the gas station with a during a consensual contact where they run a records check and they find out they have a warrant or they're going out you know uh, searching for a vehicle description or a person description that matched the murder suspect that they're looking for. When police officers can go out and proactively police, that's when we catch people and we don't see some of these crimes. It's not necessarily that crime rates have gone up because people have begotten I mean who have gotten um, crazier. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I think that that's something that has happened over a longer duration of time. The spikes that we see in 2020 and 2021, 2022, that that's necessarily, that's not necessarily because people have become crazier. It's that cops are not doing their job because they're afraid of getting um, arrested for doing the right thing, using reasonable amount of force. If the mob disagrees with them, they can face some serious charges. So all of that. Is what's causing these criminals to be emboldened and for them to be out terrorizing the community?
0: Proactive policing or profiling?
1: Right. It, you know, it's people think that cops can go out and actually, what we call, illegally profile people. It's not necessarily a, a profile, you know, like in a in a in a sense of randomly because you're black or because you are sagging your pants. The (laughs) profiling that police officers use is the profile of a suspect description, right? The last person that was seen fleeing the scene of a homicide um, on the south side of Chicago had on a a do-rag with a black shirt and, and, and khaki jeans with a hole in it, you know? And so you are looking for that person. You're looking for someone that have at least one of those articles of clothing on or you're looking for a vehicle, which was a, a two thousand and six Honda Civic with a gunshot hole in the back or <laughs> yeah. with suspended plates or with, you know, uh, sparkles on the license plate cover. You, you you are looking actively looking for things like that so that you can capture criminals. And I would argue it's not just random, you know, so, especially if you patrol in the black community everybody's black, you know, and, and anybody that in the black community knows that every black person is not a criminal. You can clearly see who's the ones um, who are the, the individuals who are destroying the community. And then those individuals who are trying to uplift the community and do better in the community
0: who are calling the cops on the bad guys.
1: Exactly. That's how cops respond. People may think that they have some special um, superhuman powers where they can just detect crime in their mind and show up on the scene. But most of the time is that that people are calling them for for help, mm-hmm. that they need them to respond. And that's how police officers typically are responding to these major calls.
0: Now, so I was watching Tim Poole podcast the night he was swatted and there you were. You were sitting there and you were the cool head that night. And I said, I have to get to know this guy. And I appreciated the fact that you really lowered the temperature in the room. That I can only imagine what uh, Tim Pool would have done had he been able to spin out and and just emote over what the officers were doing. Uh, you were there. What happened? And what were you thinking?
1: Well, I, as soon as I saw the police officer walk through the podcast, walk into the podcasting room. Initially, I thought that that must have been one of Tim Pooh's friends that wanted to come and say hi or come to the podcast. And he just kind of showed up late. But once I saw him look around and then duck out of the out of the room, I said, OK, I've been there, done that before. They're looking <laughs> for something. And this is a, you know, a professional office building type situation here so if they're looking for something and there are people present here that means we got swatted <laughs> and for people that may not know you really know, just sw-
0: thought you immediately thought it was a swatting thing
1: oh i i, I knew it right away when well, i you saw a former the,
0: swat officer too so right
1: right and, and, and i've been you know building clearing and stuff like that so as soon as i saw the police officer not make contact with with uh, Tim Poole And he kind of looked around and then ducked out of the room. I said, it's, it's, it's 100% that we've probably been swatted because there's no other real, real reason for police to be searching in this house at this time. And then, you know, given the climate that we live in, it, it was pretty clear that uh, somebody may have tried to, you know, get us killed in a swatting situation.
0: Uh, did you ever find out what was behind it? I know. Cause it happened again.
1: Yeah, we we don't know. It's very difficult. You know, people are are very strategic these days and doing prank calls and and swatting. I mean, it it has progressed. Now, police officers have mechanisms to search for people. You know, they got geeks on the police department, just like, you know, there's geeks trying to find ways to manipulate the call system. So I I think that at some point they uh, find this person. However, Generally speaking, somebody must be disgruntled with the show or they are they're upset with Tim Pool or, or one of his guests or both. Um And they, you know, want to see him get killed because swatting is a felony crime. And in a lot of ways, and it, it's even a federal crime, but it's a felony. Um, it's very serious. Yeah. You know, Tell if, if cops. If, so pretty much what a person does when they SWAT, they call in a fake prank call on somebody's house. Just say it was at my at my house. Somebody would call in while I'm live and say, look, there's a, a person who or they say, I'm, I just murdered five people at this location and I'm going to murder more people. You know, my niece is here and I'm going to kill her if y'all don't get here fast. And so police have to take that seriously. So they show up. Um, many of these cases, if you're in a major city, the SWAT team shows up. And then they have to conduct a rescue. So they will force entry in your house, um, come in guns blazing to rescue the person that they believe is on this call, you know, making accusations. And what typically happens is none of that is a real scenario. So an unsuspected YouTuber gets confronted by police. And that may not go well depending on the perception from the YouTuber, right? Somebody Mm -hmm. breaking your house, you pull a gun out because you think you're getting, somebody's trying to home invade you and it's actually the cops and people have died in those scenarios. Yes. And that's why swatting is is a felony crime and and if you cause the death of a person during the swatting, you will be found guilty of of murder and uh, and sentenced to at least 25 years in prison. Wow.
0: Well, fortunately no one, took the bait and i mean were you armed i know tim's armed
1: no because you know traveling across state lines and there's different laws in in uh out in the dc virginia area yeah so i couldn't take my gun with me because i'm not certified and and you know and I, it's a lot of loopholes they make you jump through even mm-hmm. though that's a violation of the constitution in my opinion Yeah. but thank god he had other staff members that were actually outside when the cops responded and they had them at gunpoint and they were able to decipher in a very, you know, brief way that this was probably a swatting and this wasn't a hostage situation. So it was kind of fortunate for us that some of his employees were at gunpoint first, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. before they made it into the podcasting room where they had already de escalated. And so that was a that was a thank God that, that happened. And and one of the things I told temple which i i hope that he applied um this time around when he got shot at the second time was that i told him to build a relationship with the police department and therefore they know that this could be a swatting risk meaning that they won't come guns blazing immediately they may try to give you a phone call and ask you hey is this a scenario um, of emergency or you know, is this another swatting situation that you can deescalate before the cops ever show up at your house? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that he at least listened to me a little bit and built a relationship with the communications and the local police agencies um, so that, you know, they... This next swatting scenario wouldn't be as effective as the first
0: yeah the I mean he's he's believes he believes that it was a pretext for something else he believes at least the subsequent two, I believe it was the second swatting he believes it was a pretextual attack on him and by the police,
1: yeah, I know I believe uh, one almost one hundred percent that Tim Pool may be a little more skeptical than necessary, you know. They got bigger fish to fry than Tim Pool. He's a podcaster. Uh, there's no indication that he's running bales of heroin and fentanyl across <laughs> state lines. Uh, cops kill. I mean, I was a police officer and I can't speak for every police officer, but generally police officers are very similar. And what a waste of time to even go to his house. I, I, I bet you they don't even want to be there. And, you know, one of the police officers that showed up the first time actually reached out to me and uh, told me, thank you for given perspective on what police officers actually do because if I wasn't there, I think it would have went off the rails I think so and there so would have been all kind of conspiracy theories, but no, no offense to Tim Pool. I think he's brilliant. I think he's a cool guy, but I do think he's extra uh, cautious of police in, in a, in a paranoid way. And, you know, I wish he had better relationships and maybe built relationships with, with the police department. So he wouldn't feel that way because there is so many legal issues to a pretext. I mean, for instance, you don't have to do a pretext hit on somebody's house. All you have to do is if you have uh, you know, probable cause to believe that there's something going on there, you can get a warrant for a person's house and you can blow their windows out and kick their door in and do whatever you want to do. You don't you don't have to fabricate a swatting. And in the court of law, that's not going to go anywhere. You know, a cop can't just make up a SWAT call and to, to coerce entry into your house. There's no judge on planet earth that would look at any evidence in the court of law that was, that was gained what they call it fruit from a poisonous tree that was gained through coercion or a fake call um, that would allow police officers to, to enter your house under exigent circumstances. So, you know, it's it's nearly impossible for that to happen. I think Tim Pool may be a little caught off guard because this is the second time somebody's attempted that. But mm-hmm. once he publicized it on his social media, it be, people probably be wanted to become a copycat or the same person saw the response and they said, oh, I would love to do this again because clearly this will get Tim Pool flustered. Um, this will cause him to, you know, be in a, a state of, you know, paranoia or fear or whatever the case may be. So I think that by publicizing it to a certain degree, he's going to create more people that want to see him um, get into an altercation with police.
0: I I felt like you were the person in the room who really brought the temperature down. And I think that other cop who got in touch with you offline afterwards was right when he says that you basically just caused so much calm and explained what they were doing. And you being a former SWAT officer uh, can tell from firsthand experience that this, what what it's like to have to go in to someone's house or their workspace and do something like that.
1: Yeah. And I know that when the cops are just kind of casually looking in a room, everything is, Okay, (laughs) all of the violence have been uh, eliminated, you know, because when I would do SWAT raids, uh, you're I don't know if you know at the time you probably think that there's a, you know, World War five or something going on. But, you know, when we bust in your house on a real SWAT raid, you know, and it's very intense and it's very violent. And so when I saw cops kind of peeking around, I'm like, oh, these cops are like, They're totally just CYA, covering their own, you know, what's making sure they check the rooms in case there is a person who could be dead um, in this particular uh, business facility. So um, I knew immediately it was not going to be a big deal. and And I tried to inform Tim to build relationships with the police officers, because next time when somebody swats the house, they can call you on the phone. And say, hey, Mr. You know, Mr. Poole, or you know, are you okay? Is there an emergency at your house? And Tim get on the phone and say, or somebody on the staff can say, Yeah, no, nah, this is another swatting. They've they've attempted to attack us again. Uh, they'll probably send out some police officers to make sure, but it'll be a, a mitigated situation. If you don't build relationships, then cops are coming in fresh all over again. They have no idea who you are. You know, and, and the person who called in is gonna be more and more strategic um because they have intel mm-hmm. from the last time they called in.
0: You know, I wonder about that with uh you know, I think about the uh oh uh, shoot. Um what was her name? Good Lord, she got shot by the cops, and he, they and they were in Brianna Taylor. Breonna Taylor, you know, and I think about that and her boyfriend, the drug dealer, and he, you know, they're in there because he's stashing his drugs there or something, and and uh, he knows what the what's up, but she doesn't, and and, and all of a sudden she's the one shot dead. I, I assume he, I can't remember what happened to the boyfriend, but he got off the, sh- the first shots. So you've got these people breaking into your house, and you're thinking you're going to get you're going to get killed and you have every right to defend yourself what do you do in that situation
1: yeah that's a very very complicated situation i think that you know for me i have security cameras all around my house and i know the local police officers and so um, if a situation presents itself where i hear people trying to force entry I have my cameras that set up to to respond on my phone and my wife's phone, and we have a third person that can look at it when we're not available. Um, And I can see it's the police or Mm -hmm. it's a thug that want to break in my house. Mm -hmm. And being a SWAT operator and a tactical person, I know the layout of my house better than anybody else do, unless somebody, the person who lived here before me. But I have a strategic tactical advantage over anybody, even the police. And so I feel like I have enough confidence with the with the technology that I have around my house that I can slow down and be able to decipher. Is this the police or is this a person who's trying to force entry into my house and respond accordingly? You know, and the way I do it around my house, I have guns um, in places that wherever I'm at in my house, I can access a gun uh, to defend myself if necessary because I do know that there could be a situation where somebody attempt to swap me. Um, I've gotten my information removed from the internet, but you know, there's always some way some person can gimmick it and maybe get some of it and and try me. But, you know, I think that you have to be pre-planning these things in, in the future. So Tim, having security, having cameras, having a security fence, things like that, that create barriers of time and distance. You could say that you can then assess a situation where you're not responding in the old crap moment where you can strategically say, okay, see cars coming up the driveway. These are police cars, you know, and I can see them from my, from my cameras. Mm -hmm. And therefore I know that they're coming in here. They they look like they have tactical gear. um, I'm going to comply. you (laughs) You know, I'll try to get on the horn. You know, I'll try to get on the phone and call 911 and say, Hey, I see police officers are coming, you know, SWAT team coming to my house. Um, yeah. I've been swatted before. I don't think this is an emergency. Can you contact them? And if somehow they're not successfully able to contact the police, just just comply. That that'll be the thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Comply um, and sort it out later in court. Co- comply
1: and sort it out later because you can always sue it. You can always sue the police department if they do something they're not supposed to do. I mean, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Oh um, no, that's what the ACLU always tells a, people.
1: Yeah, swatting in good faith, you can't sue. But if the cops just say they hit the wrong house on a on a search warrant, yes, they got a search warrant, but they hit the wrong house. Like the best thing you can do is comply, and then you know sue the city for as much money as you can you can get, you can possibly get. I mean, that's what I would do. But in 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 any measure, don't try to be combative in a in a violent swatting situation like that because you are probably gonna get killed if you. Yep. You know, you become belligerent and and violent with these police officers after they may have gotten a call of a belligerent, violent person who have killed multiple people. You know, Yeah. So. So
0: I read your book, Beaten Black and Blue. I actually listened to it on uh, uh, Audible and um, it's about being a cop in America and how you came to be the responsible man that you are. Uh, Give me some of the highlights of it that you wished for people to know about so that they can get their book, get your book
1: yeah I think that is interesting. a lot of people wondered like what's your story And, you know i i'm a i'm a african American man you know I, I don't I don't like to use that as a term I'm an American first, but according to the world standards, I'm a black man in america um I used to be a democrat um I voted for donald Trump I used to hate police growing up in the inner city and I became a police officer so a lot of people want to know how did that happen mm-hmm. and believe it believe it or not there's a lot of strange things that happened to me that allowed me to get to the point uh, where I became a police officer. And God was one of those strange things, you know, uh, I got saved and, and that really changed my life. But not only would a person get just a, a quick synopsis, cause it's not very long. I tried to make it as, as short and sweet as possible. They get a quick synopsis of how I became who I am and why I think the way I do. Mm-hmm. And then they get a, an, an, a, an idea or a vision um, into the minds of other officers who are currently serving some black, some white who have uh, been in uniform during these riots in the summer who've been in uniform for the last several years and and watched the turmoil of race relations and and the degradation of the reputation of law enforcement and they tell their unique stories and the thing is is that these officers don't that's not i I'm not conversing with them or coercing them into telling the story. this is their story. I didn't even want to uh, look over their stories until they gave the full story and then I reviewed it. But I wanted them to be able to articulate very clearly their own thoughts and compassionate uh, uh, or have their own voice mm-hmm. in my book, not coerced or filtered by me. Um, and so you can hear an authentic voice from other officers who've uh, been in these situations. Some of them think a little different than me. You know, some of them worked in different departments than I have. And then I go into, um, you know, this, this idea of defunding the police, police brutality, and what that mm-hmm. means and the truth about these things that the media don't want to tell you about and that, lead, you know, political leaders don't want to talk about. And then we have solutions at the end of the book. So if anybody's interested, you know, in understanding or getting an inside scoop on like what what must it be like? to be a cop in America with all of this craziness going on. I think my book is a very good synopsis, heartfelt, authentic. It's not like you're reading Shakespeare. You know, I'm very down to earth. Um, I literally uh, wrote the book like I speak. And so it's very easy to, to understand.
0: I appreciate that. And it's, it's very conversational. It's clearly you've, uh, you know, you have you have to do certain things with books, and and uh, but it's a very conversational read, and I really appreciated the guy who did your audio book was actually very good as well, and I appreciated his his uh, talents, uh, and uh, so that was good because I produce audio books as well, so that's kind of a kind of a yeah. thing I listen listen for. Um, the uh, I remember in the summer of 2020 during that summer of love in the city of Portland, <laughs> Oregon, my hometown. <laughs> and uh, there were some several police officers who really uh, eventually did a debrief with the local media which did not get a lot of play sadly but there was one particular officer who talked about being a black man and on the with his riot gear on and being absolutely pilloried by these white men and women who called him every manner of horrible names and and he said they were the most racist people he'd ever seen i mean it was i mean uh, white is black up is down north is south what do you make of that whole time
1: it was horrible it was horrifying to watch and i could imagine what it's like wearing a uniform but it really wakes people up who want to be awakened You know, there's no way you can be sleep behind the wheel and not see the hypocrisy and the hatred and evilness coming from groups like Black Lives Matter and in the name of justice and equality and love. I mean, they're 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 bludgeoning people and spewing hate and racism. I mean, the, the irony of a white person at a Black Lives Matter protest berating black police officers yes I mean and, and getting away with it is was asinine to me so it, it just <laughs> it just speaks to the hypocrisy like is this really about black lives no it's not because you would just be yelling at the white officers you would you would you would have a little sympathy for the black officers but man they were taking it worse than the white officers because, because and they this were is race kind of, right and this is kind of why I wrote the book entitled it beating black and blue because I'm getting beat up for being a black cop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you a sellout. You Uncle Tom. You working for the white man. I mean, I'm like, man, I can't win. I'm wearing a uniform and I'm getting beat up because I'm a part of the cop family. And then because I'm black and I decided that I want to do um, and, and, and change my community by being involved, by being the change I want to see. And now I'm ridiculed as being a sellout, working for the white man. And so that officer that you are speaking of, I featured him in my book as well and gave a little bit of his story because it's the it's the very epitome you know, of stupidity in our country when it comes to uh, this this argument of this anti-police argument.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you highlighted him. I guess I didn't realize that was the same guy. Well, it's true. It's absolutely true. I And the white liberals are the biggest racists around as far as I can figure.
1: I think that I, I would argue the black and the, or the white liberal is number one. The black liberal is number two. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know. They're competing. They they may be tied for number one <laughs> because you can see clear as day on television, especially some of these politicians and leaders like Al Sharpton. They are completely racist. They openly hate white people. They openly show disdain for white people in this country, you know, even Don Lemon on CNN saying that white people are the most dangerous people in the country. Like you, you could just imagine if somebody said black people were the most dangerous people in the country. I mean, if you, if you would push stats together, you could argue that black people are more dangerous than white people per capita, but regardless, the hatred towards white people, the disdain for white people, this idea of white privilege, and the white man need to apologize to the black man because they put us through all of this kneel. let me let, let me let me can you hear me
0: yeah, I can't kneel, I mean the officer's kneeling,
1: yeah, oh yeah, the stupidest thing <laughs> like i when I see officers do that and it's the dumbest thing ever, and people are just trying to they're trying to fit in like it's all a lie. it's all a lie. Like black people don't live in a in a constant state of fear of white people. Black people live in a constant fear of other black people. And don't and nobody can tell me anything different. I grew up in an all black community. I ain't never once thought the Ku Klux Klan members gonna walk down my street and terrorized. He'll <laughs> wait, get shot. where about a the, local drug dealer shoot him before he get on, you know, get on the main road. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Nobody cared about that. It uh- was gang members that we were afraid of. Thugs who had nothing to lose that will rob you for tennis shoes. Um that rob you or shoot you because you got the wrong colors on. That yeah. that's what black people are really afraid of. All you gotta do is look at the homicides in this country, look at the black homicides, 90, I think like 96% of black people who are killed are killed by other black people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's far, it's beyond a lot that they're presenting to the public. You know, this is the greatest place in the world to be black. Black people are fleeing all black countries to come to America. Hispanic people, if people are fleeing all over the world just to live in the freest, freest, most equitable country that has ever existed. And in our country, somehow we're falling for the fallacy and we believe in the lie. You know, I've never met a racist person. I mean, if I did, they were racist in their mind somewhere. It, 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 it has never had a, a, res, a real effect on my life. And I can say as an educated man, who studied Africana studies in college, is that most Black people don't experience it either? It's it's a made-up concept from race hustlers.
0: Uh, you talked about a an organization's video. Uh, it's an organization called Generation Hope, and it was a Karen who came upon. <laughs> Two black boys. They were well. They're teenagers. They're they're beyond boyhood, obviously, but they're teenagers. And she's got a bullwhip, and she <laughs> uh, she starts attacking them with the bullwhip. One one guy happens to be in a uh, uh, a wheelchair, so of course it was even more egregious than usual. And you mocked it so much. Do you know? I not. I don't know if you knew this. They removed that video.
1: Oh my god. Yes. Well, well, you know what? I probably was icing on the cake because. They got destroyed by every comment that I saw.
0: It was so ratioed it was hilarious
1: it, it that video was so outlandish. This white lady was the, the a fictitious character of racism in this country. I mean she had a whip. nobody carries a whip in a purse. <laughs> And then she whips the kid in a wheelchair. And I'm assuming that his legs doesn't work. That's why he's in a wheelchair. And somehow he's screaming because she's whipping at his legs. Oh, I I mean, it was the most cringy video I've ever seen in my life. But they have
0: more of them. They have more of them. So they took that one off YouTube and they took down their entire playlist on YouTube. But thankfully, TikTok has provided us with another one. Here's a woman who's going to uh, she's confronting two young men who happen to be black, who are selling water at the playground. And uh, she she says it's going to it's going to get worse because it won't be too long before they're they're selling drugs.
1: That, That was
0: an accident. I didn't mean to do that. Now I'm going to teach you what happens when you mess with people like me. Hey, what's going on here? Mr. Johnson? These thugs are selling water bottles without permit. I'm teaching them a lesson. You don't need a permit to sell bottled water. Anybody can do that here. Really? But she kept saying well, we go to jail.
1: Jail. You guys are not going to jail.
0: Okay. What are you doing? What are you doing? Pretty Stop. soon they're going to be selling drugs here. Um, <laughs> these are so bad. I, I, is this not- Russia... Uh, russia
1: uh, disinformation disinformation (laughs) or something
0: i mean i had a guy call me up and he goes or he gets gets to me on twitter and he goes i i don't think these things can possibly be real and i go dude i don't either i mean they're terrible and they're the dumbest things i've ever seen nobody
1: nobody doing that in america today (laughs) maybe one person in the, the cornfield somewhere but nobody's nobody's nobody treats people like this white people are you know i would argue that Many times white people are afraid of black people, and they make this out to be like dumb black people who cannot stand up for themselves. They're so vi- they're such victims. Somebody rescue these black people yes. who are too too ignorant and too um, cowardice. <laughs> and you know, like shut the front door. Black people <laughs> act like that. Ain't no lady gonna come tell some black kid that you can't sell waters as if black kids don't know the law. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's to say that black people don't know the law? Well, You're telling me young children that are in an affluent area, that mean that their parents have enough money to live there mm-hmm. and they they don't educate their children. The white people are the only ones that know the law or don't know the law or whatever. They're the only ones that have access to 911. You know, if somebody came to you talking, to, you just call the police. This is 2022, 2021, whenever they proposed that video to be made. Like, come on, man. Black people are not... These hopeless, helpless victims that are just getting bludgeoned by white people every time they turn around. Like, give me a break, man. Most of the black people that I know are very smart, intelligent, um, you know, strong individuals that know the Constitution, that know their rights, that know laws, that participate in society like functional adults. You know, no, I'm I don't sorry. know they, these they don't docile have a, black people.
0: They don't have ID and they don't know where to get it. right didn't you know didn't you know that now did you watch football on uh saturday and sunday by any chance or sunday i guess hey
1: i I caught a glimpse of a few of the games there was i didn't just sit down and get a chance to watch the whole thing
0: well my husband watched every single second of everything (laughs) um and i and i you know sort of dipped in every you know occasionally but this was one commercial that was playing and i was going to play it for you just to get your reaction to it i'm sort of uh you know coming from the side but listen
1: Let me tell you about where I'm from.
0: Where I'm from, the digital divide makes equality nearly
1: impossible. When I get a job, I'll make $10,000 less than white people with the same skills. Where I'm from, we overcome. And soon, there will be many CEOs, CFOs, and CTOs that look like me. The NFL and Perth Scholars are providing training and access to people often excluded from tech careers because of education inequality. Together, our access can be equal no matter where
0: we're from. That's an NFL commercial. And um, what what did you make of that?
1: I just think it's just propaganda. It's a a lot of propaganda, especially when people talk about wealth gaps. It's like, where where are you basing that number on? In many cases, people are basing these arbitrary numbers on factors that are not consistent. So you say a woman gets paid seven cents on a dollar for men. They're not talking about a firefighter a female firefighter, male firefighter in the same profession who in in many cases it's illegal to discriminate against people because of their gender, race or sexual sexual orientation or um, their level of handicap. So what they're talking about is people's behaviors. A person with a degree that a white person has and a black person has that same, they have the same degree. Black people make different decisions than white people, which could lead white people to make quote unquote more money. Men and women make difference in money, and I'll give you a perfect scenario. How many men are teachers? How many women are police officers? Yeah. Police officers make more than teachers. Yeah. So, You know, it's, it's decisions that are made that may cause when you do a big pool of people that may indicate that black people earn less with the same degree. And it's not because they're getting paid less on the same job. It's because the career choices that they make with that degree. And, you know, the NFL is just shameless in promoting that. You're talking about the top 1% earners playing football for a living and all these white people are watching them 24, you know, watching everything that they do and idolizing them. I mean, what's the inequality in that? You know, it's funny because things that black people dominate, there's no affirmative action. And things that black people don't dominate, they somehow create affirmative action to try to get black people to dominate. Um, Like they're saying, CEOs and CFOs will look like me because of affirmative action. But there is no push for the NFL to be more white. Yeah, well, that's true. Where's affirmative action for white people in the NFL and college football? That they need to have a quota. No, that's how you can tell this is bull crap. And I don't want a person to be a CEO or COO of my company because of the color of their skin no you have to be able to produce and and them the bigotry of low expectations that are put on black men and women in this country is probably one of the reasons why they are not represented more as CEOs and COOs and CFOs of major companies, because they walk around with this image in their mind that white people are, are here to to hold them back and that they got to work twice as hard as all other people in the country. And, and, the, and the police officers are ready to kill them and they don't belong in this country. And therefore... When you have that psychology or, or that psychological, you know, deficit, you begin to self-sabotage. So when you do go on a a job interview and you perform, and you don't get the job, you immediately think it's because of the color of your skin. So you're just d- deterred from going to other opportunities mm-hmm. when it may be the fact that you're overqualified or maybe you're you're not talented enough in your interviewing process. And so these things that the NFL does and other people who paint this picture for young black people that they ain't never gonna be nothing and they live in this racist country it creates an environment where black people don't go out and perform and become the best version of themselves
0: it's robbing them of their own accomplishments I think I mean that just in 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 advance robbing them so it just gets in there a priori Uh, so I did find a study the, about black men versus white men. Uh, black men's earnings trail others with similar positions and qualifications by two cents, uh, by <laughs> two cents uh, an hour. For every, do- for every dollar a white man makes, a uh, black man makes 98 cents and Asian men <laughs> make a dollar too. So, I mean, yeah, uh, it's, it's just very interesting. It's not a $10,000 difference. It's maybe, yeah. if, maybe, if that's true, and, a $1,400 $1, difference.
1: And, how, and let, me, let me tell you this. Let, let's, let's talk about it like this. You have to see what sample are you getting and how big is the sample size? Because if you look at it like this, you say, how many um, black people live in California mm-hmm. or, or live in the West Coast or the Northwest or Northeast versus the South? And when you look at southern states, you look at the cost of living in southern states, the cost of living is much lower. The job, you know, to get paid to live in some of these places are a much lower wage than in some of these Midwest places. Or if you live in New York or you you get what I'm saying. So you you live in some of these places in Northern California in in the tech industry. Like, is that a factor? Are they factoring in those terms? It's hard to tell. It's, uh, it's you really can't tell. It's Two like with the,
0: with the women, with the women thing. Women take off time to have kids. And, and that just exactly. puts them behind the eight ball. And I'm sorry, but that's not apples and apples comparisons. That's apples and pears. You
1: know, and my friend, my friend, it, it, it was he it was a lieutenant and his wife. Both worked on the police department together. No, she was actually a lieutenant. I think he was a, a uh, lord and her or something like that. Well, she got pregnant. And she had to sit on a desk you know closer to her time of her pregnancy she couldn't work off duty she couldn't get special assignment pay she couldn't uh, work overtime she sat on a desk the whole time but you know while she was on a desk and then eventually she got time off when she had the baby her husband was working overtime night differential he was getting all of this special assignment pay so technically he made more than she did in their own household yeah you you could see a disparity within a single household of a man and a woman. So uh, people, it's very weird. They find these arbitrary numbers and they put them together and they say, look, two cents on a dollar. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They made 98 cents on a dollar, but they can't find a place that will pay a white man more than they'll pay a, pay a black man. I mean, I
0: yeah, I think it's the bigger, the macro versus the micro in terms of, I mean, can you imagine? I, I know that companies bend over backwards for minority candidates. So I, do. I, I don't even I, I just can't even imagine where that's coming from, except simply to suggest that, well, there's an institutional racism that goes on. And I'm sorry, but there's nothing you can do about it unless you just force your way through and do whatever and get yourself some high speed Internet or something. I apparently that's yeah. what the <laughs> point of that thing was.
1: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It, it's crazy that they they. You know, they they really gaslight a lot of stuff, you know, because your schooling and your education is based on the value that your family puts in the education. Mm-hmm. I went to an all black school, Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, right in the middle of the hood and stop six. There were kids who got full scholarships to go to college um, on academic on an academic scholarship. There were kids who dropped out and went to prison. What's the difference between the two kids? They go to the same school. You have to live within the geographical area to, to even go to Paul Ernst Dunbar. What's the difference? The difference is these parents and, st- and students here were focused – On getting an education and the value of education, mom and dad are probably home helping you with homework, encouraging you to take the next step where the families over here are using drugs, you know, whatever the case may be. So you can't blame the white man. It's not a system in place. It's personal decision making. The reason I did well in school one reason is because my dad wasn't having it if I wasn't, and I wasn't trying to get a whooping every every time my report card come out. But also, I play sports, and you have to pass to play, and so I wasn't gonna fail to save my life. I was gonna pass because I didn't want that whooping, and I wanted to make it to the NFL one day. And so, when you have, I'm not dumber than any kid or smarter than other kids. I just applied myself more. And if we as a society will stop uh, uh, kissing the feet of black people and trying to, co- you know, uh, I don't know, caress them into society and, and start saying, no, you are accountable for your own actions. You, the one vote for these people that destroy your inner city schools. You need to take responsibility and you need to do better. All of these black celebrities that make billions of dollars a year need to stop complaining. And you need to go into your own community. Let me give you a quick example. I was on the, um, they they had me fly out to Atlanta to be on the, at the Revolt Summit. This is a oh. popular primary black, you know, uh, P. Diddy, is, he puts it on. Oh, wow. You got Colin Kaepernick. You got all the black people on there. Mm-hmm. I was on a panel with, um, I forget his name now, Oh Benjamin Crump. Oh, and geez. Some other black activists oh, right God. this is the biggest <laughs> black event wow. of the year and you 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 better believe it's woken and woke and so they get me on there long story short they decide to cut all of my content <gasps> and everything that i said from their projection that they are their production that they put on to youtube they completely cut everything i said but do you know who sponsored who was their spot the sponsor of that event pepsi it was it was at&t a white owned company. It wasn't a black company. It wasn't a black major billion dollar company that Jay-Z has, or that Kanye has, or Jordan, or any one of these people, Colin Kaepernick. It was a white company that was their major sponsor of the biggest black summit of the year. Why, what is this thing about white people? What is this thing about white privilege? Mm-hmm. It, it's all, it's all a fabricated lie. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: for people to race hustle with.
0: Gaslight. Gaslight. Do you you're too young, but do you know anything about uh, Bootsy Collins and
1: Yeah, you know, I know a little bit about. Okay. It. <laughs>
0: well, they have a they have a song called Flashlight, Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah. And every uh-huh. time I every time I hear Gaslight, that's the song I think of. And yeah. I just put Gaslight in there. <laughs> it's a long story. But anyway, uh well, listen, it's been special spending some time time with you and Beaten Black and Blue is the name of the book and Wow. It's been such a pleasure to spend some time with Brandon Tatum today. Officer Tatum, how long have you been out of law enforcement?
1: Since since 2017.
0: So are you glad?
1: Now I am. I mean, at the time, I, I felt bad. I left all my behind, and I missed being a hero, going code three and saving people's lives and chasing people and putting them in jail. That was the, that was the most fun of my life. I, I remember when I first started the police department, I didn't even want to go home. I wanted, I couldn't wait for the weekend to be over so I can go back to work. Um, and now I, I, I couldn't, I don't know if I could do the job. I would be so miserable.
0: Yeah, that's right. Cause you work for yourself now, don't you?
1: Oh yeah. I run my own stuff. I say whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want it. And if people don't like it, then they just don't have to support me. That's it. That's, that's all I do. So. It's very
0: freeing, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a good life. And I'm, and I'm very blessed that I was a police officer and I had a chance to experience that. It made me the man I am today. Um, And I'm I'm blessed to know God and and, and God has created these environments and testimonies for me to share with the world. And I'm just uh, incredibly blessed that I have the opportunity to be a light in this world while I'm here.
0: Well, and you are salt and light, my friend. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs, and it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, Mischief Managed.